Whether we know it or not, we find ourselves experiencing an enemy we call the devil, who traffics in lies and ensnares that, that intend to ensnare and kill us, harm us. And there's no shortage of different lies, but some of the lies are lies about the good life, lies about success, lies about our purpose, lies about freedom and what true freedom actually is, and lies about identity. We are in the midst of a fight. But the challenge is it's so much more insidious than just a, a frontal attack. So much of it is unseen. So much of it is happening in our minds. John Mark Homer says it like this. He says, our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of truth. Now, this is directly in line with something that Jesus says when he's saying, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you have a Bible or the Bible app, and you are not prone to flip over to Candy Crush, flip over to John 8, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. And I want us to look at this section of Scripture in the Gospel of John, John 8. Before we dig in, let's, let's pray for a moment. God, I am so grateful. I'm grateful that you're in the business of breaking chains and changing lives. God, I'm so very aware that you transform not by our power, not by my effort or my gifts, but by your power. And God, I just want to be part of what you're doing. I just want to partner with you. And so I pray that as, as I speak, that you would be the one that speaks. I'm very aware that there's all sorts of things going on as we come in this room, that there are people in the room that are struggling, people in the room that you feel distant, people in the room where they struggle to believe that you could actually love them. And so, God, would you remind them and speak to them? Would you say something directly to them that would cut through all the noise? God, we love you. I need you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John 8, and we'll start in verse 31. And this is where we find Jesus talking about setting people free. He says in John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And in verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So to provide a little bit of context for this verse, because I think the challenge for us is anytime we look at Scripture and we remove good chunks of it is we're not always sure, okay, what's happening in this scenario? And, and it says it in this verse that Jesus said to the people who believed in him, but it's important that you also know in this group that he's speaking to, there are people that believe in him and then there are others. We call them the Pharisees. They are religious leaders of the time. And, and so Jesus is speaking to a group of people, some of which who believed in him and some did not. And Jesus has this brilliant and beautiful way of offending some people while also offering life-changing hope to others. This is the way of Jesus. He offends certain groups, but then brings life to others. For some, he's offering freedom. 
when he's talking about setting people free or seeing people experiencing freedom. This is beautiful, and this is like cold water to people that are parched and and desperate for living water, desperate for a drink. And this freedom represents something so powerful for them. And he says, follow my way of life and you will experience freedom. But then on the other side, these same words that are bringing life are offending the Pharisees. He's speaking about freedom and the Pharisees immediately start getting defensive. And they are saying, we've never been slaves. Which, if you know the history of the Jewish people, you'd realize how absurd this is. Because if you look at the history of the Jewish people, if you read all the Old Testament, the Jewish people frequently are, are slaves. There's constant fight and, and battle. And so they're like, no, we've never been slaves. So there are people that are going, finally, someone who will set us free. And they're like, they're not us. We don't need to be set free. We were, we've never been slaves. And then they're saying, what do you mean we'll be set free? And so Jesus confronts them with the truth. And he's reminding them, listen, this is not slavery like you picture it. This is not about being enslaved to someone. This is about being enslaved to sin. You are in slavery to sin. This is spiritual slavery. And in verse 34, Jesus replied and he said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. And so if the Son sets you free, that's him, you are truly free. If the Son, Jesus himself, sets you free, then you experience true freedom. And even in this, we see a choice. Sin or Son. A life of sin Letting my life be enslaved to sin or following the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus himself, God incarnate. If the Son sets you free, then you are free. This is our choice, our battle between the world, the flesh, and the devil or the way of Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, you experience true freedom. Sometimes it looks a little different than we might expect, but it's freedom of our souls. And so you can choose the way of Jesus experiencing freedom, or you can allow over time these enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil, to lead you and enslave you. And you think you're getting freedom, but it's a mirage, and it's only harming you. And so Jesus goes back to talking to the Pharisees, and he says in verse 37, yes, I realize you are descendants of Abraham, And yet, some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. So I just want you to understand that this is not just a scenario where it's about people that just don't like Jesus and they say mean things to him. That this is a scenario where we have a group of people that are conspiring to have him murdered. And if you know the story, you know that they're successful, if only for a few days. And so they're conspiring to kill him. Jesus knows this. 
And Jesus is reminding them. He's confronting their hearts, which is what Jesus often does, and he pierces directly to the very center. And he's reminding them that he, Jesus himself, is following his Father, God himself, the creator of the very universe. And in contrast, the Pharisees are following their Father. Now, if you have it in your Bible or you look on the screen, you'll notice that that God, when he's, or Jesus, when he's talking about his Father, it's capitalized, capital F. And with the Pharisees, it's lowercase f. God the Father or their Father. And I, I, don't, want you to under, I don't want you to miss how offensive and confrontational this is. Even as Jesus is speaking, he is not, sometimes I think we have this vision of just like nice guy Jesus, and he's not like a jerk in the way that we expect, but he's very direct, and he's a lot more direct than we like to give him credit for. He's being very direct, and he's being confrontational. Because the Pharisees at the time are experts in religious law. They knew everything. They took a few commandments and they extrapolated them to hundreds of laws and they were excellent in their adherence to all of their nice little rules. And beyond just following the rules, they they found their identity in that. I follow every single rule. I am better than you. Puffed up by pride. This is who they are. And now you have this rabbi, this teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, who is speaking directly to them. He's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be the only way to the Father. And he's telling them, you don't even follow the advice of God. My Father. No, you follow your Father. Now, do you see how tense this would have been? In this dialogue, like you could have You could have cut the tension in the room with the knife. It would have been incredibly tense. And I think sometimes we just, we miss out on some of that as we read scripture. They're going, our father. And they, and they're talking about where their father, their father is. And they're saying, well, Abraham is our father of our faith. And Jesus again reminds them, no, (laughs) you're, Life is demonstrating that that's not actually true because you're trying to kill me. You're trying to murder me because I'm telling you the truth. He says, you're not following the example of Abraham. And instead, Jesus doubles down in verse 41 and he says, no, you are imitating your real father. Now, you realize how significant these words are when we find the next verse, their, their response as they replied, and they say, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Now, we read that, and we're like, oh, okay, we aren't illegitimate children, exclamation, so they meant it pretty strongly, but we're not really seeing a lot that happens here, and I think what happens sometimes is one of the problems that we have is that we read scripture, and we miss humor, we miss subtext, And in this case, we miss how cutting this is. That this is not just a casual comment. This is meant to dig at Jesus. Now, are you ready to be confronted with how not Sunday school friendly some of the Bible is? If you have a child in the room, you can earmuffs or explain afterwards. When they're saying this, we aren't illegitimate children. In the original Greek, it's actually closer to them saying, we aren't bastards like you. 
Now, do you, do you see how significant that is? Because imagine you're Jesus. The whole story, we, we know the Christmas story, and we're like, yeah, of course, Mary, she was young, and her husband was Joseph, but she had a baby with God, and so it all worked out. But imagine the scenario in your community, if you've lived in a small town, you know how people talk. And they're like, you hear what she said? She said, God was his dad. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I saw who it was. It was the milkman. And so they know this. They know about Jesus, and they know that there are some things in his story that outside of him being the very son of God and God himself incarnate, it does not make sense. And so they're questioning his parentage, and they're going, listen, we're not illegitimate children. God is actually our father. You say it, but he is our father. Now, to understand this, we also have to understand that culturally this is significant. In this cultural context, you are the sum total of your parentage, of your lineage. And so to call into question anyone's background was so beyond offensive. It's actually a way of completely undermining the identity of this person. And so in a society where this matters substantially, this is not a small thing. What the Pharisees are saying to Jesus is not a small thing. But I love Jesus because in the face of this offensive comment, he doesn't react. He's not like, well, let me tell you what your daddy did the other week. No, he responds calmly but with truth. And he reminds them in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. And then he says something next. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? Now, I don't know if that's the exact intonation he used, but when I read it, I say, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. You ever had one of those conversations? Where you're like, listen, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. You're talking to someone, and they're technically listening, but you know they're not hearing you. Now, if you are a parent in the room, you know what this is like when you're talking to your kids, and you're saying something to them, and you know they are listening to you technically, but they are not hearing what you are saying. We have had conversations with our son Parker, who is five, that look like this. And the one more recent one is we have between two and three hours of blissful peace in the middle of the day, and we call that quiet time. Now, Ava goes in the room. We close the door, and we're like, Ava, just stay in here. And she's like, no problem. She's pretty chill. Parker we still have a lock on his door because <laughs> we're like, go pee beforehand and then you're in your cage until we grab you later. Well, one of the things that has been an interesting challenge with Parker is we've had a couple of times, when they do their quiet time sometimes or often, they'll, they'll watch their tablets and they'll watch a show for a little bit. And so we had a couple of times where we heard noises well after their bedtime and we're like, something's going on. Lee went upstairs and Parker had somehow 
He had the foresight to hide his tablet under his pillow for later. And then he had been watching some show for like three hours after bedtime. Now, if you're a parent, again, you know, like, I'm breaking that down going, tomorrow's going to suck. <laughs> tomorrow's going to be difficult. And so we're talking to him. Parker, we need you to go to bed and get sleep. You need the rest. Please, do not take your tablet. Okay. <laughs> the next day, like clockwork, Lee goes upstairs, sees the faint glow under the, <laughs> under the, the door, and what's he doing? Using his tablet. And we're going, bro, we were not unclear. We talked about expectations. We communicated to you implications. Why don't you hear us? And I think that we can look at kids and we can go, yeah, because they're kids. But the truth is, as adults, man, we are all like that. That God says stuff to us, and God speaks things to us, and we do like, I'm just not going to listen to that one, because I don't like what he's saying. Or we go, oh yeah, I forgot. I just got really busy. I had a lot going on, and I forgot that's something you wanted me to do. We have these moments where we, where we think, you know what, I, I think maybe I heard from God, but I didn't really hear him, and it never really stuck. And I think the more and more that we are unaware of our desperate need for God, the more we tend to become puffed up by pride, and the more puffed up by pride we are, the worse listeners we become. Have you ever been around someone that thinks that they know everything? Do you hang out with them much? No. You're like, you are so irritating because you have no room to hear anything else you think you know at all. And sometimes we come to God like that. We're like, I, I think I have all of the right answers. And so what can happen is we look at a story like this, and we see Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. And we're looking at the Pharisees going, wow, they're the worst. I'd never be like that. And God's going, you're like that. And we're like, no, 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 no. And then we cover our ears. I'm not listening. And so we find this as Jesus is interacting with people that he's saying, you can't even hear me. And here's why. He's been contrasting his father, God the Father, with their father. And we're about to find out who he says their father actually is. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now here we find Jesus speaking and he's helping us to understand the animating force behind evil, the devil or Satan or the accuser. And for those of us that follow the way of Jesus, he is our enemy. But for others, like the Pharisees, he is their father. They likely just don't know it yet. 
And Jesus is reminding us here that no matter how much we love to live in intellectual, rational thought in 2023, that the devil is real. That he is not just a concept, a figment of imagination, but he is someone who is actively at work fighting the, the way of Jesus and fighting and resisting the people that are trying to build his kingdom. And it says that he was, just Jesus saying he was a murderer from the very beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he was a murderer from the beginning, and he has always hated the truth. Now, in contrast, remember what Jesus said. The truth will set you free. And so here we have this contrast in opposition to each other. And I want you to know that when Jesus is saying that the truth will set you free, he's not just exoling or extolling the virtues of telling the truth, though that is important. You will not find anything in your Bible that encourages lying. But this is so much more than that. This isn't just about telling the truth and it'll set you free. It's a way of saying, align your life wholeheartedly with me, with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and you will be set free. Live life with truth at the very center, truth personified, God incarnate, and the truth will set you free. And in contrast, in the devil, there is no truth. And we find ourselves in this tension between living like he is true and it is true and living like the lies are actually a form of truth. And what happens is if we're not careful, we start finding ourselves drifting and we find ourselves believing the lies that Satan, that the devil is trying to get us to believe. We believe, like in the beginning, the lies. Lies about the good life, lies about success, lies about our purpose, lies about freedom, and lies about identity. John Mark Comer has a phenomenal book called Live No Lies, and, and he communicates that the problem is not just that we believe the lies. The problem is that we live like they're true. There are areas in each of our lives where we live like lies are true. And we don't realize how it's enslaving us, and we don't realize that it's actually harming us, and yet we feel this low level of something's not quite right. So how do we stop this? How do we fight the lies? Part of the process of ongoing, continued surrender to the way of Jesus is to speak truth in the context of community. It's to speak truth in the context of people that love you, love Jesus, and are willing not to leave you where you are. But in order to speak truth to the lies, we first have to identify the lies each of us in our life. And we have to know where those lies are coming from. What is the root of those lies and who ultimately is trying to speak those lies over us? Jesus describes the devil as the father of lies. And he says when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's important that you understand that the devil does not have a bunch of tricks that are 
new and shiny. He just has really effective, consistent tricks. The way that he works has been consistent since the very beginning, and we often buy into them hook, line, and sinker. And one of the ways that the devil works is he tells us partial truths. And a partial truth is still a lie. And we kind of go, well, it kind of sounds vaguely Christian-ish. And so we just kind of pack it on and not realize that under it is a lie. If we go to the very beginning of the Bible and we, we see this, we see this in Adam and Eve. Tempted to sacrifice God's ways for their own way, the devil asks the question, did God really say not to eat the fruit? Did he, did he really say? Which just causes Eve to go, yeah, I guess not, and it seems good, and I maybe should do this. And this is the question from the very beginning. This is one that the devil consistently works. Did God really say that you shouldn't do this? And I want you to know that since the very beginning of humanity, this has been the challenge for us as human beings, is exchanging the truth for a lie. We go, well, did God really say? And so then we start to read things selectively and not allow him to confront and challenge us, and we find ourselves moving in a direction that is not toward freedom, but enslavement. It's so important for us to recognize. I would even go so far as to say that if you follow Jesus and he has not confronted you lately, it's possible you've drifted. Because he's constantly, through the Holy Spirit, pointing out areas in our lives that you go, oof, I gotta deal with that. I'm living some lies that are harmful and I need to actually change some of that. God offers us life. He offers us life through Jesus, but we have to fight this, this idea of co contrasting truth and life with the lies that we believe. And, and we can have these moments, certainly culturally, where we go, I want the benefits of God. I want the benefits of Jesus. All that sounds good, and especially if it just it makes everything better and everything is good, then I'm great, until it starts to seem a little restrictive. And you're like, whoa, you're asking me to give up some things. And he's like, I'm not just asking you to give up some things. I'm asking you to give up everything. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Lay down your life for me. And you go, ooh, I wasn't, I wasn't on board with that. Like, I'm, I'm okay with, like, showing up every once in a while to some things and maybe, like, you know, not telling a lie or not swearing too much or, you know, not drinking too much. I'm okay with some of that stuff. But wait, you're asking me to actually lay down my life and choose your way of life. And he goes, you got it. You're asking me to surrender every area of my life, every single spot that I wish that I could hold on to. He goes, yeah, that's it. And the, the lie is that you can somehow hold on to your life and keep it, and Jesus tells us you have to lose your life in order to find it. It's that we see here the battle for truth. Jesus offers us in a, a life that is increasingly marked by long-suffering, like where we have a better way of dealing with difficulty. And what we do is we go, I didn't think it'd be this hard. <laughs> Can I just take the easy route? And he goes, no, because uh, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome it. And you're like, that's great. Could you overcome it for me so I'd never have to deal with difficult things? And like, we don't say that out loud, but we think it. Or more accurately, I think it. I have moments that I'm like, you, I know you said it would be difficult, and I know you reminded me that you would be in the midst of all of it, but this difficult? Like, he make, I'm doing everything you asked me to do. And then I think about stories like Paul. He goes, and he's, 
he's preaching the gospel and he's telling people and he ends up on a boat and it shipwrecks and then he ends up on an island and while he's on the island, he's like, I'm gonna help the people make a fire. So he helps make a fire and he gets bit by a viper. And I listen to stories like that and I'm like, that's how it feels sometimes. I'm doing everything you asked me to do and yet it seems so difficult. And the reminder for us as Jesus followers is not that he makes it so that we don't care about anything or we avoid it all. He changes our perspective. So as we face difficulty, we do it with an eternal perspective. We go, you know what? I count it all as joy to suffer along with you. How often do we confront that lie? Because so many of us, certainly in North America, is like, if I follow Jesus, I should be healthy and wealthy and everything's good. But that's not how that works. If we read the whole Bible, we do not find that pattern. And God tells us there is a way of life that leads to death. And we go, yeah, I don't want that. But then we cherry pick our faith and we do a DIY faith of going, I like a little bit of that. Sprinkle a little uh, manifestation of things. Sprinkle a little bit of this and a little bit of that idea. And suddenly we find ourselves looking at this religion that looks nothing like the way of Jesus. And we exchange the truth for a lie. Don't fall for the lies. They'll crush you. They'll enslave you. And you'll feel like maybe I'm making some sense of progress or I'm moving things forward. And then you'll find yourself in this place where you realize this is not what I signed up for. I want you to know that the devil is a liar. That he is the father of lies. And he is trying to, each person in the room right now, even whisper lies. He's trying to get your attention and weasel in. Did God really say God really want that? It's, it's, I know, you deserve this. It's really hard. What you're dealing with is really hard. You should medicate. Instead of dealing with the things that you're actually dealing with and identifying, God, are you trying to do something? I mean, you should just avoid that. You should just drink a little more, eat a little more, distract a little more. Lies, lies, lies. Jesus is saying, come to me. If you're burdened, if you need a rest, come to me and I'll give you, I'll give you a real rest. And we go, you know what? That sounds good, but I think I'll just try my own thing first. Don't buy into the lies. Don't buy into the lies about your body, the lies about your money, the lies about your time, the lies about your talents, the lies about your purpose, the lies about your identity, and the lies about success. I don't know which ones you struggle with. Maybe it's a combination of a bunch, but there are specific areas that you settle for something less than actually the way of Jesus. Don't let those lies shape your life. And here's the challenge, is we see those lies, and we may even begin to go, you know what, I noticed some of those But then we partner it with the devil's strategy to get us to believe and then live those lies. And I've seen this consistently, and it breaks my heart every single time. I would say it's one of the hardest things about being a pastor is I notice that what Satan does or what the devil does is he works really hard to isolate people and then tell them lies. And so he pulls them from community, or more accurately, they pull themselves away from community because he's just speaking lies to them. And they go, you know what? It'd be easier if I just back away. It'd be better because it's just it's difficult to be around these people because I feel like I'm being challenged and I have to grow. And so we back away. That is the prime time for us to believe the lies because we're on our own. You realize how easy it is for you to believe something that's not true when you're by yourself? 
when you're with people and you say, I've been thinking in this, and they're like, whoa, 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 that's not true. And you're like, really? You're by yourself? You just swim in those lies. And they sound like truth. Because the devil's really effective in getting us to believe the lies. He has a ton of experience doing it and a great track record. And so he isolates us and tells us lies. We see it in Genesis. We see it all throughout the Bible, this pattern. This is why in our church, co-groups, which will relaunch in the fall, but serving right now is so important because it puts us in proximity to other people that love us and love Jesus and are actually willing to challenge us and tell us the truth over the lies that we believe. It's why in the church that there are lots of churches that have people that show up and they sit down and they leave and and they're not seeing the kind of transformation they want to see. And I just want you to know that's not the kind of church we want to build. We want to build the kind of church where we're arm in arm actually doing life together and being the kind of community that speaks truth over the lies that we believe. It's so difficult seeing the the tendency for people to just kind of nibble around the outside or hang it in the shallow end and go, you know what, I don't know if I'm quite ready to get involved into community, but you are stifling your spiritual growth by doing that. I'll fully admit, being in real, true community is more difficult. That's the point. It's the best and difficult It's people. I love people most of the time. Right? People are the best, and people sometimes are the worst. But it's in that environment that we actually confront the lies that we believe with the truth of what Jesus is saying. Please don't do this alone. Please spend time with people that don't have the exact same perspective as you that don't look exactly like you, that aren't in the exact same stage of life. Like one of the things that we value, especially in our co-groups, is multi-generational, intergenerational co-groups, where we have people that are older and people that are younger. Why? Because if everyone is the same age, we don't give great advice to each other. We need older and we need younger. We need to work together and recognize there are some things that we can learn from those that are older and there are some things we can learn from those who are younger. We do it together because we want to be the kind of community that is willing to identify the the lies that we believe and speak truth into it. Each generation and each group of people has different things. Things that you go, success looks like this. And then you go, in 2023, success actually kind of looks like this. And it changes, but the underlying root is the same. We are in a fight And so it is not enough to just show up inconsistently or occasionally and sit through me talking at you and then leaving and going, I did my part. We have to recognize we are in a fight and we are in it together. That we spot the lies and we speak the truth. These are enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we must, as a community, become the kind of community that spots the lies and speaks the truth. But it's not just about just community, because we could say that word. I have community, and I hang out with people. But if we look at certain organizations, 
they're declining and dying because it just is a group of people that just kind of is hanging out together. Hey, it's nice. Like, we, we went to war, so let's spend some time afterwards. Or we like lawn bowling. Let's hang out and, and spend time. But it's not creating life change. Instead, we need a different kind of community, an ancient kind of community that has thousands of years of experience in transforming not just lives, but whole communities, cities, regions, countries, and the world. I want to just let you know that collective church, when we looked up and we were thinking about names, a collective in one, one dictionary is defined as a group of individuals united around a common purpose. And for us, and you'll see it on the wall as you leave, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. That's the center of everything that we do. That's what keeps us. We put the truth personified at the very center. And so we are a group of individuals. Like there is a reality. If you look at our team, we don't all look the same, act the same, like the same things, but we're united by Jesus himself knitted together into a new kind of community that looks different. And we need to be and continue to become the kind of community that speaks truth to the lies. Because so oftentimes we believe all sorts of lies and we need to be the kind of community that's willing to actually say it. And I'm, I'm not suggesting we do that to dunk on each other. Just so I'm very, very, very clear. There should be no part of us that is looking going, I can't wait to expose your lies and speak truth, and I'm going to feel so good. The driving force should be going, I love that person so much, I don't want them to be enslaved by that. And I listen to the things that they believe about themselves, and it's not what God says about them. I, I, want, to actually, I want to actually confront that. I want to be that kind of community. I was thinking about some of the lies that I believe. Some of the things that are challenging for me. One, one of the lies that I struggle with believing is that I'm inadequate. Any, anyone, you don't have to put your hand up. Any, anyone relate to that? Like you just go like, I know me and I know my limitations. And I just sometimes feel like I'm not, I'm not adequate for the job that I have, for the things that God's asking me to, for what I believe his purpose is for my life. I feel inadequate. And then in partnership with that, one of the lies that I struggle with is that I'm the sum total of my mistakes. You know, like, it, it's so interesting that, that um, I, I've had this pattern and I've been able to break it, but it has not always been easy where I'd lay down in bed and that's when my brain would start going. You know, and you're like, I'm trying to rest. And, and what would often happen for me is that I'd replay all the stupid things I said that day. You said this, that was dumb. You did this, that was stupid. What was wrong with you? And so you'd, and then you'd start to go, that's how I'm ending my day, thinking about all the ways that I am the sum total of my mistakes. Or then just, I'll be very vulnerable and communicate even for, for the church that I go, one of the lies that I struggle with, if things are going well, I'm like, that's everyone else. But if things are going poorly, it's my fault. It's me, my fault. I'm, I'm the problem. Those are some of the lies that I struggle with. I have lots and I'm sure you do too. But I do want to communicate that this is not just me saying, hey, you believe lies. You need truth over lies. We. We. We have to be in the kind of community. And so then I was doing something, and I didn't even plan it, but then I was thinking, I have a, I have a note in my, in my phone. 
and I, I started it before we started Collective. And it, and it says about the lies that I'm believing and lists it. And then I listed 10 people that said something different. In the context of community, I listen to the truth and I have to continually remind myself of what is actually true. And so when I feel like I'm inadequate, I am reminded that God's power works best in my weakness. And so I don't have to go, well, I have it all sorted out. I'm the best. I go, God, I'm weak. I need you. Just so I'm very clear. When I pray, God, I need you. That's not me saying that just because I should. I'm saying that because I know that's true. I could have all sorts of speaking gifts, but without him, I've got nothing And so I confront the lie with truth. Or when I feel like I'm the sum total of my mistakes, I read the Bible. And I'm like, everyone's a mistake. Everyone is a mess. And God works best through people that are imperfect who are desperately surrendered to him. That's all I'm responsible for. You look at David, and he's a mess. And we hold him up. He's a hero. One of the things that scholars think about him that's so beautiful that made him the man after God's own heart was how quickly he repented. So when he found out he did something wrong, he was quick to go, I shouldn't have done that, God. Well, what if I can control that? When I do something stupid or wrong or harmful, when I react in a way that does not look like Jesus, I can go, God, I don't want this. But the more that I go, that's just the way I am the more I actually numb myself to the voice of God who is challenging and confronting and speaking truth over the lies. And the more that I don't let other people who I love and trust and respect and invite in, the more that I don't let them actually say what they need to say, the more that I find myself drifting and living in my own little world. Because here's the honest truth. If I'm winning at church and losing at home, I've lost. And so if Lee sees something in my life and she says something to me and I go, you know what? That's just the cross we bear. We're building a church. That is a problem. And so I have three overseers, three external pastors who love me, love Lee, want our family to thrive, who are willing to ask us difficult questions. And I am very vulnerable with them on purpose. I fight for that because I've seen the harm of when we live life by ourselves. This tendency to isolate is not just a problem for people. It's also a problem for pastors. Because you do it by yourself and then you go like, well, I'm this. And, the, and then if things are going well, see, look, I'm a, I'm a success. No, no, no. God is building his church. I just get to be part of it. And then I'm reminded where where the Bible actually says that God continually uses things that seem foolish, that don't make sense to confound or shame the wise. And I think, that's good news for me. Maybe that's good news for you. Like, you have gifts. There are certain things that I'm naturally good at, and yet I I know, God, I, I know who I am. I'm not you. And so I see this pattern where I see God speaking the truth over the lies that we might believe. We have to become the kind of community that identifies those lies and speaks truth over them. But it does require that that we do a couple of things. One, if you notice, I, I, I didn't use all the verses, but I just quoted a bunch of scripture. And it means we actually should know what the Bible says. Like, we're not just reading to check the box and go, well, I did the Bible in a year. We're reading because these are words of life. 
And we, we read them and we go, I needed that God. Every single day there's things that he wants to say and we open up his word and he speaks to us. We have to actually know what God is saying. And as we're doing that, we have to know who God is. Because it's not just about information about God, it's knowing the character of God that transforms us. And we go, that's in line with God's character or it is not. But in the context of that, being the kind of community that speaks truth to the lies, doing it in love because we want to build each other up and follow the way of Jesus becomes a counter-cultural movement. Because it represents something different than what we see in the world. Because in the world, what we want to do is we want to confront someone's lies with truth to beat them down, to feel pride, to go, look how much better I am. I would never believe what you believe. I would never do what you did. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is just going, I am so desperately in need of God, and I have been transformed by him, and I want that for everyone else. And I need that every single day in my life, and I need that every day for your life. We have to spot the lies and speak the truth. And if we look at Jesus as he's interacting with the Pharisees, as we see an opportunity for us to reflect, am I like the ones who believe or am I like the Pharisees? We have two invitations to respond to the truth. Either we embrace it, not perfectly, but daily, or we reject it. And we close our ears and we blind ourselves to what God is saying. We're invited to discover, am I part of which family? There are two fathers here. There's the father of lies, and then there's the father of life, God himself. Which family am I part of? And, and so much more than that, not just thinking about what family I'm part of, what family am I building? What am I actually investing in? If, if someone was to look at my life, my schedule, my bank account, would it show that I am actively building towards this family of the father of life, God himself, or am I actively building something different, a monument to my own life, lies that I'm believing? We're invited to spot the lies and speak the truth. And I want you to reflect on those questions. Which family do I belong to? Which one do I want to belong to? And which family am I actively and and, and actually building towards. I'm very aware that in this room right now that there are some people that the lie is like right there. You go, I know the lie. Maybe you look, listen to my list and you're like, I have my list. And you're going, what, what should I do with that? I do think that there's significant value in, in writing that down, putting it somewhere. I have that document on my phone because I'm so prone to be thinking about all sorts of other things that I look at it and through that I'm reminded, no, that's not true. But I want to invite you not just to write them down, I want to invite you to do something that is far more difficult and yet is the key to transformation. I want you to invite someone that loves you and loves Jesus to actually speak truth into your life. Ask them. I'm not suggesting that we go around just trying to dunk on people or just going, hey, let me tell you. So we need to be people that are willing to actually ask someone, hey, what do you notice that I say all the time that you think is not true? What lies do you see? Is it about success? Is it my identity? Is it about my purpose? Is it about my finances? What, what, what is it? What are the lies? Have someone that you actually are willing to ask 
If you know right now you have, you have some lies in your mind that you're struggling with and you go, I, I just, I feel this need to, to, I need someone to pray with me or for me or I just need to know I'm not by myself. Our prayer team will be up here after worship and they'd love to pray with you and for you. There's something powerful about sharing, confessing our, our sins or the lies to someone else who cares about us, even if they don't know us, and who is willing to stand in the gap for us. It's not enough for us just to intellectually know. We have to think through what we know and also how we live. Don't live like lies are the truth. Spot the lies and speak the truth. The way of Jesus is freedom. Maybe not in the ways you think. Because there are some things that he says that we should do or not do that feel a little bit more restrictive. But you think you're finding freedom and really you're finding lies. Instead, we want the way of Jesus.